You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill. Tonight we slither through some freaks of nature. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam Bill Party Thomas. And I am Thomas Mariani, the man himself, right here, for all you to see, or hear. Yeah. Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, welcome to the Devil Edge Devil Bill. Um, for those of you who might be new, um, every week uh, we pick a good and a bad feature to discuss on the following episode um, of the show. And so we did that last time for uh, the topic for this week in honor of um, Zombieland 2 is coming out, because uh, we all wanted that ten years later. Ooh, yeah. Oh, that looks so generic and boring. Yeah, but it looks like they had that script in the shelf for about eight years and decided yep. to like, dust it off a bit. But but yeah, we're getting that, and uh, despite maybe our lack of interest in Zombieland 2, uh, horror comedies are at least of interest to us to some degree. We discussed how we like horror and comedy when done right, so why not both? I agree, and when done right, they are some of the my favorite films, horror comedies. Uh, but when done wrong, oh boy. Yeah, because we've also discussed this, that like the worst movies to really watch are like bad comedies or bad horror movies. But I think even bad comedies are so much worse, because you can make fun of a bad, just straight-up horror movie. You can't really make fun of a bad comedy at all. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if, if someone's trying to make you laugh and it's not working, it's some of the most irritating shit in the world. Very cringy and very awkward to be around. Mm-hmm. Much like our uh, bad pick. Well, what a great transition, Adam. <laughs> Thanks. I've been practicing. <laughs> uh, for our, our bad pick we'll be discussing first, which was my pick from last week, because uh, I had the bad picks and Adam had the good picks. Um, my The bad pick we ended up with was Freaks of Nature from 2015, which you probably haven't heard of, for good reason. Um, and then our good pick is uh, from Adam is Slither, uh, which are two very interesting versions of the horror comedy, because that's something we should definitely establish here. A horror comedy sometimes either leans more toward being like a comedy with horror set dressing, or a horror movie with moments to alleviate. And I would argue that Freaks of Nature is the former, and Slither is the latter. Yes, I agree. Yes, so it's an interesting perspective on both ways you can do the genre. But let's start with that first example, our bad pick, Freaks of Nature. Someone once said that home is where the heart is. Holy shit! Well, that dickhead never had to grow up in Dilford, Ohio. Come with me, if you want to live. We just work together, and we can save our shitty town! 
At this point, fuck it, right? So, Freaks of Nature came out um, October 30th, 2015. Um, it was directed by a guy named uh, Robbie Pickering and written by a guy named Oren Ozeal. And uh, what's interesting about this is it's one of many examples of a film on the Hollywood Blacklist, which, if you don't know, every year uh, the Blacklist is decided uh, by basically polling a bunch of different executives in Hollywood and asking them, hey, what are the best unproduced scripts of that year? And uh, for perspective, some of the other movies on that list included Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, Argo, American Hustle, The Butler, Chronicle, Edge of Tomorrow, Gangster Squad, Oz the Great and Powerful, and Looper. What an eclectic mix of movies that is. Yeah, there's uh, like two good ones in there. <laughs> That's a bunch of junk. <laughs> well, that's the thing, honestly, with the blacklist. Like when I initially heard the blacklist, I'm like, "Oh, that sounds like an interesting idea. That's cool." And then, aside from like the ones that usually have like bigger studio backing, most of the time when those scripts end up becoming movies, they uh, tend to be garbagey. <laughs> like another example yeah. to recall a previous topic we did. One of the blacklist films, I think, a year or so prior to this, was Cop Out. Oh, and that's a terrible, oh, awful, unfunny that's movie. Awful film. <laughs> so either shows a those scripts get really mangled in production, or b executives don't have much taste. Well, I mean, I think both is probably correct. <laughs> in fact, this one was originally when it was on that list was called Kitchen Sink, which I guess is clever, considering the yeah. Idea. For those of you who don't know, the the premise of this movie is it's a coming-of-age comedy um, that takes place at a high school. So you think, oh, this is pretty typical. The twist on it being that along with humans presiding in this small town, there are also vampires and zombies who are all treated as sort of like second-class citizens, basically. Um, And our three heroes, as it were, are our main character, uh, played by Nicholas Braun, Dag, uh, who's a human uh, and then Mackenzie Davis, who plays the vampire Petra, who is dealing with metaphor for virginity that's really about, like, oh, hey, are you going to become a vampire? And then she does, and all that stuff happens. And then there's an outcast uh, played by Josh Fademan, Ned, who becomes a zombie after his family outcasts him. And also the human dag is dealing with, like, stuff with his mother being out of work because of this meat packing plant that's the big sort of... Uh, seeing thing over the whole town. You, you notice how overcomplicated this is? Uh, well, how about if you added aliens into it? Because that's the big threat yeah. that everybody has to fight against. Uh, and werewolves. Well, that's true. That comes up later. That's a, that's a big twist, Adam. No, it's not. It's so obvious. <laughs> like, as soon as I saw like, oh, great, so this kid's a fucking werewolf. Like, it was so obvious. I mean, oh, uh, like, all right. <laughs> I'm just going to get into it here, baby. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I did laugh at a couple scenes. I'm not going to lie. Right. In the first, like, 45 minutes, yes. there was a couple funny scenes. And then it just keeps going and going and going and going and going. This movie felt like it was so fucking long. It's only like an hour and a half. Yes. I mean, I swear to God, it felt like two and a half hours at one point. You're like, when is this going to wrap up? It just takes forever to get to just such a mediocre, stupid climax 
that for some reason features the voice of Werner Herzog. Okay, but that's the thing. Then again, this movie is sort of the king of how did they get all these people for this movie? Because that was it's the big huge thing. Cast. That's the big thing that what interested me was I'd heard about this movie because I used to do a horror themed podcast. So th- this movie would be on the, the slate on and off all the time. And then eventually, um, I was, because especially, I would like look up this movie and I'm like, oh wow, this cast is amazing. Because in this movie, you've got, amongst our previous stars mentioned, Joan Cusack, Bob Odenkirk, Keegan Michael Key, Patton Oswalt, Vanessa Hudgens, Dennis Leary, and uh, Rachel Harris, Mae Whitman, and of course, as you mentioned, Werner Herzog. A lot of, like, especially comedic character actors that popped up in this. And I'm, I'm so astonished. It just seems like either somebody was owed a lot of favors. Or this script just attracted a lot of people. I just don't, I don't know what it is. I don't either. I really don't. Like I said, I, I did get some chuckles out of the first 45 minutes. So, I mean, there, there is some funny bits to this. Mostly Keegan-Michael Key, I would say, is the funniest thing in the movie. Keegan-Michael Key, and the part I laughed at the most is when the zombie kid's dad was getting eaten. <laughs> He's like, they just put intestines back in to take out different ones. What the fuck is the difference? <laughs> I, I didn't actually like him. Uh, Ian Roberts as uh, the yeah. chat. I thought he was actually pretty funny. There's even a moment early on where he's like, uh, the star son ends up getting like severely hurt by our main character. And the zombie kid's dad is just like, oh man, you know, uh, th- this is really rough. I mean, he's, oh, you want to try and like, get out here and go to college? Well, you can kiss that goodbye if this happens. He's like, oh man, I just don't want to be here. Yeah, you want to kill yourself? You might want to, honestly, if he ends up not doing anything. <laughs> like, there's some interesting dark, humor that's there with that character but they, i agree as it just keeps going along it really is just trying hard to make any of this work and it feels like the screenwriter had like three ideas for a sort of weird genre specific coming of age movie for high school but like here's one about vampires and a metaphor for virginity here's one about zombies and being an outcast and here's one about um just a regular coming of age comedy but there are aliens that attack and they just combined right. all of them into one movie and it doesn't work no at all it's a mess it's absolutely a fucking mess and the main kid forgive me i didn't look up his name because i don't care nicholas braun yeah that fucking guy who's terrible by the way did you recognize him well yes i've seen him in a few things because he was in red state uh speaking of the kevin smith thing yeah he's the guy with the little ponytail and also he's on succession right now the hbo show and he's the kid who fucking glows in sky high yes Yes, he is. I completely forgot about that. Instantly, as soon as I saw him, I went, oh, fuck, no. <laughs> well, and do you recognize Mackenzie Davis? Yeah, from, uh, well, A, Blade Runner 2049. She's in right. that. She's in the new Terminator movie. Yes. Well, I mean, I also saw her in, like, Holton Catch Fire was where I discovered her. It was on that show. I've never watched it. No. Um, but, but anyway, I, I would say of the three people, too, she's the one that seems like she's putting the most effort into it. It's just another problem of, like, she becomes sort of like this trophy girl type where it's like, oh, she's the cool girl that, like, we can totally relate to. She's not like Vanessa Hudges, like, who will just stand up to me and not, like, actually make me, you know, her her boyfriend or anything like that. She's a cool girl, like all the guys kind of thing. That's totally what she becomes. Yeah, it's it's just one cliche after another. It really is. It's every bad teenage you know, high school, like you said, coming of age story just rolled into one with extra bullshit thrown in there. It feels like the last vestiges of like the ones that were ripping off super bad in particular. Yeah, yeah, that's a bit, yeah, absolutely. Which is interesting, especially given the original person who was going to direct this was Jonah Hill. This was going to be his directorial debut, and he skirted away from this. Luckily for him, yeah, he dodged a, yeah, he was gonna say he dodged a fucking bullet there. 
And you know what? Honestly, like when I was watching this, I kept also thinking about of all the movies, like a, a movie that does similar things but does it a lot more interestingly with a more like a central satirical bite to it is uh, this is the end. Yeah, I agree. Because that's a movie where it's following a similar principle of like, oh, hey, let's have these comedic characters in a horror situation, but just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. And most of that stuff sticks in that movie because that movie's just fucking brazen crazy. Yeah. You know, yeah, I agree. You know what? This one kind of feels like, man, it kind of feels like one of those direct to video or direct to Netflix or limited release like spoof movies like Breaking Wind or Stan Helsing or one of those where it's just everything in there and so many pop culture references. And, I mean, let's face it, there's so much shit in this movie where it's taken directly from other movies, where it, or at least it feels like it, because it's so unoriginal. It's boring. Let's just be honest. After the first, like, 45 minutes, like I said, and then it's just, like, it just drags ass. Which is so weird, because it's a movie literally about, like we mentioned, all these cool things that would sound interesting. Like, when I heard about this movie, oh, that sounds kind of cool, but it ends up in practice being kind of like a hat-on-a-hat problem, which if you don't know, the comedy standard is like, hey, if you put a funny hat on a normal thing, that's funny. If you put, like, two funny hats on the same person, that just makes it look weird. And so, like, oh, let's stack a bunch of hats on top of each other. It's like, no, that just looks like a mess. Like, get a hat rack. (laughs) Right, right. And this movie is a definition of a fucking mess. There's just way too much going on in this. Uh, But the thing is, there's so much going on, and there's, like, zero explanation for a lot of it. Like, right. I get it's in some world, but how did the zombies come to be? How did the vampires come to be? How are they integrated? How, who created the collar and the, the non-collar zombie zone and all this bullshit? And then this rule where if they don't eat brains, they get smarter. And, I mean, just all this crazy bullshit. And it's like, there's zero backstory. You're just thrust into this world and you're like, hey, this all exists. Right, and the thing is, like, if this was, like, a better movie where you engaged in the characters, you wouldn't really care about that explanation. Oh, I agree, yeah. I right, agree. Where, where, like, you just establish the world more through these the eyes of these characters. Like, a better example, even though I think this movie's kind of overrated, but I get the at least appeal, and it has much better world building. Uh, Fido? Yeah, I agree. Even Warm Body. Yes, either. I totally agree. Those two at least gave it fucking a genuine shot instead of just relying on, oh, there's zombies, so... Oh, they're doing funny stuff. So that's good, right? We did our job. Well, it's it's definitely like they just lucked out so hard with this cast. They're like, we don't need to try. Because like Bob Odenkirk and Joan Cusack, you can make this funny. And God bless them, they can't. (laughs) That scene is so awkward and stupid and long. Yep, I agree. And I really like both of them. But good God. Like the like I said, like I said, the only consistently really funny one is Key Michael Key, who plays like the teacher at the school who's a vampire. And especially the scene that gave me false hope was when the zombie kid before it becomes a zombie goes to the teacher's lounge and he's just very upset <laughs> and very stressed out. The, the, the blood's off the boiler and oh my God, someone ate all the donuts and look, I failed you because I just want to see you here day after day. That gives me some joy in my miserable 95 years of being at the school. <laughs> like all that shit is so funny. And I was like, oh my God, maybe this is like an underrated gym and the movie keeps going and it's not. <laughs> Uh, that's kind of what I was thinking at that point, too. I'm like, well, I don't know why he picked this. I mean, I guess he hadn't seen it. And then it got to about the halfway mark. And I'm like, oh, I get it now. If, if they had, like, focused on any one of these ideas, I think it would have been a much better movie. Like, any of these individual slivers of an idea about a s- twist on the coming-of-age high school comedy, but with a genre thing in it. It would have been so much better. I mean, yeah, but it's been already been done to death, too. I mean, that's kind of the problem. I mean, we've already seen it. And 
I think they thought that if they just threw them all together, that it would work. Like, well, I know you've seen, you know, vampires in high school. You've also seen zombies being in love with humans or whatever the fuck. You've also seen alien attack movies with teenagers. Well, here's all three, but it's funny. And it just, it's a failure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, uh, it's pretty much that. Um, w- would you say that it's a typical failure of, like, most horror comedies that are bad? <sighs> oh, I mean, I can't, like I said, I did get a couple laughs out of it. There are some horror comedies that are so bad that, it's almost like I'd rather be at the dentist. You know, I mean, this is just, I can't even give them an A for effort. It's just, I don't know. I, it's its so misguided and jumbled. Uh, at least there's some good ideas. It's not just a blatant spoof. There is some funny parts. There's some, I mean, top-notch actors in this, which is still... I, I'm right with you. I don't fucking get it. Maybe this is like a mafia movie. And these all the hollow bookies or something. <laughs> well, and also it, I will say it doesn't look cheap either. Like it's about a thirty no. million dollar budget movie. They spent a solid amount of money on this movie. Like even when like the alien shows up, I do kind of like the look of how like the alien has to basically like, come together into this like one pool and turn into a giant super being that has like we said the voice of Warner Herzog. And I did kind of also laugh at when it like starts melting with ammonia and the little weird like puppet version of it. <laughs> like there's uh-huh. a bit where the like the zombie kid like looks starts like staring at it. It has like a weird game of chicken with like the little alien thing. Yeah, <laughs> like, that part was funny where they're going side <laughs> to side. <laughs> yes. Maybe that was the Stockholm syndrome of like, well that was kind of funny, so it's hilarious by this movie's standards. Yeah, I guess, maybe, but like I said, at that point, I was so ready for this to be over. It's not that it had false endings, but I, I was at the point, if I see Dennis Leary on screen with fake mutton chops one more fucking time. <laughs> I mean, why did he have fake mutton chops? I don't understand. I, they just thought it would be funny, I guess. Just like, look, this is funny. Oh, it's, not, it's another one of these movies where it's like, oh, hey, um, we don't have jokes, but here's like um, somebody in a funny wig, or somebody in a funny costume, or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like, one of my least favorite fucking comedy tropes. I was like, look, look, the old person's rapping. You know what I mean? They're, oh, they're on a skateboard. Whoa! Still young at heart and silly. Oh, it's not funny. It, oh, we get it. He's a drunk, and he owns a riblet factory, and he always feels like he didn't belong or whatever the fuck. Doesn't take long to dissuade him, by the way. I did kind of like there's that one bit when he's, like, trying to shoot people down, and he's just like... Oh, nobody gave me the right drink that I wanted at the bar. Yeah, but Rick Tini doesn't exist. Well, that shot. <laughs> that was funny. I'll give you that one. But I do think Mackenzie Davis probably was the standout. But that's not saying much because nobody here is really doing much. No. Of, I mean, they're really. And I thought uh, it was it's Ben, right, the zombie kid. Yes. I thought he had like the the syndrome that the dude from burial ground had at first oh he's actually really old i i did look that up because i'm like is he actually old is like yeah he's like 35 <laughs> compared to all the other people oh, who look younger so obvious too. yeah yeah <laughs> he's got crow's feet and like permanent laugh lines and shit <laughs> he can make up on him like okay okay that makes sense then speaking of which mackenzie davis is clearly not that age either well, I mean, that's like an un, not an uncommon trip, obviously, of those movies necessarily. Um, but they don't even bother like point that out. That would have been a funny thing to do. But instead, they're just like, "Hey, what if they were all naked 
because that's a whole set piece in this movie where it's like, oh, the aliens can't see organic matter. So it's like, oh, hey, let's uh, take off all our clothes that are inorganic. And it's like, oh, that's so funny. Yeah. A lot of dick jokes for no reason and a premature ejaculation joke for no reason. Yeah. You got to get those dirty high school movie jokes in there. Got to have them. Which, I mean, just drew people in because of its limited release that got $70,000. On a $33 million fucking budget. Let's put it this way. I rented this movie on Prime because I had, like, a bunch of free, like, gift card balance. Mm-hmm. And this was only, like, a buck ninety nine to rent on Prime. Nothing's that cheap to rent. <laughs> like, like, nothing. Everything's at least four bucks. This was, like, they're like, please fucking rent this. Well, especially because they really, really wanted to bury it because it was supposed to come out like in January 2015 and then moved to October 16th and then to just October 30th quietly. Like just to never be really seen by anybody. They had to, the executive seen the, the, you know, the test screening or the final cut of this and been like, oh God, what the fuck do we have? How do we even market this? That's another thing too. How do you even market this? By literally saying it's the kitchen sink. I mean, that's the only way you can do it. But they didn't even do that because it's a freaks of nature now. I know. This has everything in it. You'll like it. <laughs> Hire Bill Hader to be Stefan. Yeah, this movie has everything. <laughs> Little midgets on skateboards. Dan Cortez. <laughs> See, all immediately funnier than this movie. <laughs> exactly. But as you said, this this isn't like the bottom of the barrel for horror comedies. I've seen definitely worse. So I've seen way I've seen worse. There's no question. This is very just mediocre at best. This is, it's ultimately going to be a forgettable experience. Like, I mean, I watched it yesterday and I'm even having trouble placing it in sequence to what events happen when. It's very mediocre, very run of the mill. It's, it's three that potentially could be decent ideas, just mix mashed together to try to maximize and be like, oh my God, you know, it's, this is made for people who like like monster truck rallies. <laughs> you know what I mean? With just so much at once. No man. Like that's what this is for. Like guys who are sitting there drinking rip it and like you got nothing to do. Just throw this on. Sweet, they're naked. It, well, it's that's just... what it is in theory, but then those guys who probably watch this movie's like, bro, this is boring. Nothing's oh, happening. Yeah. Nobody's punching anybody. Like it's just it's it's just bad. It's bad. Yeah, where's where's my stone sour soundtrack, bro? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, those sound like solid final thoughts, I guess, Adam. In, in terms of this, yeah, movie. you're running yeah. a bit on fumes there. Yeah, that's about all I got on this one. It, it's just, it's ultimately it's, it's skippable. No, I mean, I I feel similarly. If nothing else, like we we kind of mentioned, oh, three different movie ideas kind of meshed together into one kind of shamble of a movie. It also kind of feels like. Um, the same syndrome that hurts every single movie based on an SNL skit, where it's just like, you know, this would have been funny for like a short skit, but you're turning this into a feature film, and it's going by endlessly. It feels like definitely something that was pitched originally as something shorter, and then just like kept stretching onward and onward. There's so little on the page. And I, I guess then again, maybe that script was actually really good, and they just really butchered it with like the budget and whatever happened during production. Because uh, that's the only reason I could figure, like, so many great people are involved in this. And it just definitely feels like, the, like we mentioned, either they really believed in the script that got butchered, um, or they had fun making it with all these other people, or they had a free day, 
Or they owed bookies, as you mentioned, they were going to break Bob Odenkirk's legs. <laughs> and this was right before Better Call Saul, so we didn't have enough money to quite cover that. So yeah, I just think it ultimately ends up being, I, I guess I agree, more forgettable than anything else. There, there's enough laughs to where I didn't hate my entire experience watching it, but it's definitely not uh, good by any stretch. It's uh, It fits perfectly the bad slot that it was meant to be, but it also wasn't one of the most garbagey things I've ever seen. Could you see this maybe working in an episodic way? I guess maybe if you were to like develop more of like the world. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah I could yeah. maybe see that working, but I mean, obviously, it's never going to fucking happen. No, I mean, unless then again, I don't know. Come ten or so years, we're just like, man, we've remade everything. Uh, this maybe someone saw this. <laughs> God, <laughs> who knows? But enough about that, because uh, we have an ESO show that you could be listening to. Right now to promote. Hello, America. Do you like listening to knowledgeable people who are passionate about what they do? Wilbur does, don't you, Wilbur? Well, what about Daisy? She likes to listen to shows about pop culture, movies, television, and comic books. Good thing Wilbur and Daisy found the Nerd Bliss Podcast. You, too, can find the Nerd Bliss Podcast at nerdblisspodcast.com and on the ESO Network. Just remember, Nerd Bliss is one word. And now let's get to our good feature in our horror comedy double bill. It is Slither. From Universal Pictures comes a film so shocking. We've got a real problem here. So disgusting. Don't let him in your mouth! It will change the face of horror. They're doing things to people. Turning them into some kind of monsters. How's everybody's evening? Good? Good. Slither. Have you ever seen anything like that? Me neither. I watch Animal Planet all the time. So Slither came out uh, March 31st, 2006, and it is the directorial debut of one James Gunn, who those of you out there might know for his Guardians of the Galaxy pictures as of recent. Uh, But before all of that, he worked for a little movie serial called Troma. Now, we've talked about Troma a few times on the show, but if you aren't familiar, uh, Troma is an independent movie studio run by Lloyd Kaufman that um, is quite famous for making... Is Schlock too nice? Nice. No, Schlock is too nice. <laughs> Let's just be honest. It makes shit. Oh, they make trash. So much trash. Oh, they make... You're just garbage. Like, Lloyd Kaufman is the Oscar the Grouch of movie studio heads. He loves trash. Oh, he absolutely loves it. See, Roger Corman actually thinks he was making good movies. Lloyd Kaufman knows he's making garbage. Right, it's true. It's like if Roger Corman had the sort of, like out there mobile mogul mascotness of Stan Lee and you shook it up in a trash can. You get Lloyd Kaufman. With all due respect. <laughs> yeah, with all due respect, but like throw Ron Jeremy in there too. Just for the hell. <laughs> no, Ron Jeremy's <laughs> the man who discovered him, just like this is my boy. <laughs> <laughs> I shall raise him. And date him Lloyd. Um. But James Gunn came out of that. He actually co wrote the what was it, everything I learned from filmmaking I did through the Toxic Avenger. Like, he basically ghost-wrote that. Romeo and Juliet was his biggest one. Right, Romeo and Juliet he co-wrote, but he also worked on, I think, like, Terror Farmer, which is great. Like, I love Terror Farmer. That's, uh, that's the best movie they put out, I honestly think. I mean, I would... It's a tie between, like, that and The Toxic Avenger, the original one, I have a lot of affection for. Um, in terms of, like, this is, like, the highest class of trauma, which isn't saying a lot, because they're both also very schlocky, weird movies. Right. You can tell um, his influence here was Slither, can't you, Adam? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Slither, this is a dirty movie. 
It's a dirty and gross out. I mean, it's a real, real gross out movie. God damn it, do I love every second of it. But um, why don't you talk about, like, because this was your pick. Uh, when, did you see it in the theater? Were you one of the few who saw it, given this wasn't a big hit at the time it came out? No, actually. I went to go see it at the theater, and I think it was out for maybe two weeks after it came out, I went to see it, and it was gone from my local theater. Like, it did not last. And I was really, really bummed because I, I, I'm a big Nathan Fillion fan. I love Michael Rooker, always have. So I was really excited to see this. And the previews were great. They were wild, showing the big, just swollen, puffed-up lady in the barn and everything. I mean, it was just so like, what is this? No, I never got a chance to see the theater, but I saw it, like, literally, I think, the day it came out for a home video. And uh, just to real quick uh, do a small plot synopsis, basically it takes place in this small town. This like local guy is one of the rich guys in town, kind of a jerk, gets infected by a, uh, basically an alien parasite that he finds out of a comet. He turns into an alien, and there's slugs, and they infect people and kind of turn people into zombies, and it's just a whole fucking just shit show fest of epic proportions. Right, and uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, you, we had Freaks of Nature, which is much more of like a comedy with the set dressing of a horror movie. On the flip side, you've got this movie, which, as you mentioned, is very sort of uh, bitter and very mean um, and plays much more like a horror movie. And then they add a lot of comedic side characters to it, and it's sort of like the comedy comes from the horror. And do you prefer one or the other, Adam? No, 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 I don't. I don't have a preference. Uh, I just prefer that they're, you know, good. <laughs> so what makes Slither more specifically good in what it's doing? Well, A, I, I mean, the practical effects are absolutely fantastic in this. The cast is so strong. Like I said, you know, you got Michael Rooker and Nathan Fillion, but you also got Elizabeth Banks, Jenna Fisher. I mean, there's a, there's a huge, huge cast in this of, I don't want to call them B players, but you know, character actors. And it's a really, really good story. It reminds me almost like a if Troma remade Night of the Creeps. That's when I actually first heard of this movie was I heard a lot of people, like, when the trailers came out unfavorably comparing it to, like, oh, man, it's ripping off Night of the Creeps, which I wouldn't say it quite is, necessarily. No, it isn't. It just takes some of the basic ideas, some of the ideas, you know, the slugs infect people and turn them into zombies. Right, I mean, not to mention, that that wasn't also original to Night of the Creeps, necessarily. No, not at all. But I, I just think it's it's well shot, obviously well directed. James Gunn's a really, really good auteur. And uh, it's just super fun and, like I said, gross out. If you like gross out movies, this is right up your alley. Yeah, I remember I didn't see it in the theater either because, uh, like you mentioned, it just came in and out, made uh, $12 million on a $15 million budget. Um, and almost kind of like for Universal sank their faith in doing horror comedies because we didn't mention this either. Like horror comedy tends to be a very niche subgenre in general. Like, I think a lot of people, in terms of general audiences, tend to be more confused than anything else. Like, when horror comedies hit, it's usually because there's some kind of weird stylistic edge, or there's something really unique about it. Like, one of the few examples is, like, a Beetlejuice, which, on paper, should not have been as big a hit as it ended up being. At all. Or even Gremlins. Or Gremlins, that's another example. But it just kind of, like, hit at the right sort of zeitgeisty point. And this was, like, right and slap dab in the middle of, like, your horror was, like, Saw... And your comedies were starting to get R-rated, but it was like Wedding Crashers was what was making money. <laughs> uh, yeah, Wedding Crashers, Dodgeball, shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this, you're right. This hit right at like the torture porn time, for the most part. Right, so wrong place, wrong time at all points. A hundred percent. If this movie would have came out now, or even like post-Shaun of the Dead, 
this movie would have been, I well, think, technically a lot it is post Shaun of the Dead. Technically, but I, I'm saying, you know, you get what I mean. If it would come out post the horror comedy sort of semi renaissance we had, I think this movie would have done a lot, lot better. Or even if it would have came out post Guardians of the Galaxy, because people would have been like, oh my god, James Gunn, I'll see anything he's involved in, i.e., Brightburn, which, doosh. <laughs> but. It's just, I don't think this movie ever got a fair shake. No, but then again, James Gunn tends to kind of make transgressive movies. That's what I think refreshed people so much about Guardians of the Galaxy, was it felt kind of like a transgressive edge against something that was coming at, like, so popular at the time of superhero movies. It felt very distinct yeah. and very odd, and it sort of filled a hole there, as opposed to, like, this, or especially his next film, Super, which is honestly which my favorite Which is fucking wild. It it's is, so wild. It's so disturbing, but it's so messed up. I love it so much. It's such mm-hmm. a fucked up little movie. I think he tends to make these kind of movies that, despite having that transgressive edge, tend to have like a real heart to them. And that's, I think, what really makes this work, despite the fact that it has a lot of mean, nasty takes in terms of how people die, how like gross and gruesome like a lot of the effects work can be. There still is, at the same time, an interesting heart where it's about like people in a small town where everyone knows each other and everyone's aware of, especially with Elizabeth Banks and Michael Rooker characters, who he plays the guy that you mentioned who becomes infected by the slug. She has been really emotionally cut off by Michael Rooker, who is much more interested in sex and then just kind of ignores her all the time, is trying to cheat on her at several points, but she just kind of stays because, like, well, every I'm you know he's been around for so long. They established that like they had like a connection when she was younger, and she still has a lot of affection for him. But it's really it's a movie, despite like all the genre trappings around it, about a woman kind of getting over the fact that her marriage is toxic and she needs to get rid of it. She needs to cut off this emotionally neglectful person. And she does that by um, making sure he dies through a horrible, like, inhalation thing after he's become a mutant slug monster. How most divorces happen, obviously. Oh, yeah, I expect when I get divorced, that'll happen. (laughs) (laughs) It's a sad day for Double Edge Double Bill. Adam became a slug monster, and he's not going to be on the show anymore. (laughs) Well, and the fact that she's also in love with, you know, Nathan Fillion's character. Like, clearly they're in love with each other. Right, that, they have been since they were younger, but they, obviously, the, she's just like, no, but I'm married to this man, and I have to stick by him, even though he she, he does not stick by her whatsoever. Um, oh, no, he's a shit. Yeah, but do you agree there's still that heart, despite all the meanness around the movie? Absolutely, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's so endearing. It's not just mean-spirited, because it, it, it's really not that mean-spirited. Yeah, there's a lot of graphic, you know, violence and gross-out shit, and you know, horribly abusive relationships, but it all comes from, it feels like it's like a genuine warmth place. It, it's just, and it, like I said, you got Elizabeth Banks, who is always, when she really gives it her all, always solid. And she's so adorable in this, and you feel for her. And then Nathan Fillion, when that guy's on, he's fucking on, and he's, he almost steals this movie. I think Michael Rooker kind of takes it, but Nathan Fillion is so good in this movie. And you feel a genuine sense of chemistry, you feel a genuine sense of, you know, he really cares about the people in the town and his friends, and so does she. And it's just, yeah, it's a great little movie. It does something that you don't expect when you first see it. And even Michael Rooker, who is playing very much like a character who could have been much more of a villain, he could have obviously done a great job with it. But I like that there's this sense of, like, a patheticness to him and how he plays that character. So pathetic. Where he's in love with her. Like, it's so 
stupid. I love it. I love it so much. It's gross slug creatures in love with the wife. Still, even after all this, like, that's the persistent thing. She's like, oh, but I still... And especially the fact that, once again, the horrific element sci-fi thing of, oh, hey, all of the, the hive mind thing with all the slugs together. But even when they possess other people and they see Elizabeth Banks' character, it's just like... But I still have feelings for you, like all the other people, which is like the most hilarious <laughs> fucking thing. Uh, though I will say the the funniest person in the movie, I will argue, especially upon watching it this time, is Greg Henry as the asshole mayor, constantly. Oh, he's so good. Yes, who you might recognize, he's been in every James Gunn movie. He plays like a detective and super, and he plays um, Chris Pratt's grandfather in the Two Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Mm-hmm. What I know him from most is probably the Mel Gibson movie Payback. Like he's like one of the main bad guys in that. He's he's fucking fantastic. I completely forgot about his character. Yeah, I absolutely love him, and I love what happens to him. <laughs> you gotta shoot me, party! Boom! <laughs> My favorite yeah. funny bit with him is when they're in the car, and um, the one girl explains like, "Oh, I saw it. They're aliens from up above." And there's a pause. He's like. They're Martians. And he's like, well, Martians aren't, they're not from Mars. Well, it's like a figure of fucking speech. (laughs) 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 But he is like the worst possible version of, say, like a Jaws mayor. But it's like if you brought the Jaws mayor along on the Orca with Quinn and everybody, (laughs) and he's just like, oh, God, what the fuck's going to (laughs) happen? I was going to say, you bring him out and he's ultra fucking scared and paranoid the whole time. Yes. Yeah, no, uh, Greg Henry absolutely steals. He is the funniest in the movie. You're 100% right. But that doesn't dissuade, obviously. There's a lot of other funny gags. Like, a great example of a perfect sort of, like, subversive expectation gag is the grenade thing as a Chekhov's gun. That's so perfect. How they just keep, hey, don't forget about that grenade. What about that grenade? It just plops in the fucking pool and explodes. That's so genius. That's such a perfect screenwriting gag. <laughs> so... Would you put this in the pantheon of, like, one of the better horror comedies of all time, or at least of recent years? Definitely of, like, the new millennium, I would say so, for sure. Like, if somebody were to say, like, hey, what's a good example of, like, a introduction to horror comedy? This is a good one to introduce somebody to the idea, um, where they can kind of gleam onto, like, some of the genre tropes and stuff, but see how, like, oh, okay, it's mostly a horror movie, but it has a lot of fun character-injected comedy bits that really work for it. And even at the same time, it also does a great job of, like, really developing the characters even genuinely. Like, I love the fact that Nathan Fillion's in this, like, podunk kind of southern town, but he establishes firmly, like, I don't like the whole, like, oh, let's use our guns to shoot deer thing. Like, I have a gun, but I'm not going to use it to shoot a fucking deer in the face. I don't really believe in that. Like, you can see these characters have certain standards that make them stand out a bit more from the crowd and kind of show how they're at odds with the sort of weird uh, podunk nature of this place. Yes, well put. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I would use this as an introduction just because of the gross-out uh, nature of a lot of it. That's true. Maybe it's more second-tier. Like, after you yeah, give yeah, them a taste, I, then it's I, like, here's some more. Like, I honestly, I know I already said it, but I would honestly maybe even start with, like, a Night of the Creeps before this one. True, it's a bit more palpable, yeah. Yeah, so you saw this one, kind of silly, kind of goofy. Now watch this fucking one where everything is amped up. But I do think, especially modern day, this is our spot right in the top five, if not the top three, of horror comedies. Definitely of this particular decade as well, when it was kind of a dry thing. Oh, this was a horrible, horrible decade for horror and comedy, really. I mean, you were just getting either the same fucking comedy movie over and over, or basically the same horror movie, because it was all either sequels, remakes, or torture porn. 
they were definitely much more underground ones, like a Shaun of the Dead or a few others that mm-hmm. were like not really mainstream ones and just kind of like popped out. Especially this is also at around the time when you got like a lot of horror comedies from like Europe, especially like we were going to do Black Sheep almost, which was would fit yeah. that kind of standard. That's a time where like those kind of movies flourished. Really, was a specific yeah. point, or even uh, this is more satire than comedy necessarily, but uh, Behind the Mask. Absolutely, I, I almost actually was going to pick that one too. That's a great call. It's a great fucking movie, but uh, but anyway, this still this movie. Um, I guess also, do you see sort of like the trajectory given this is James Gunn's first film to his later works? Do you see a lot of that uh, his style and stuff continuing to flourish from this point? Uh, I mean, yeah, especially with the way with his uh, the way he does comedy and the, how he likes to indulge a lot of quirks and stuff in characters. Um, I mean, that's all here, and uh, you know, even the action bits. They're all taken very seriously. I mean, there is silly stuff in them, like you said, with the grenade and stuff, but they are taken serious and you feel like there's a genuine threat that's happening. And speaking of which, just to even add to that, I don't know if you knew this or not, but a bit of trivia that supposedly the uh, James Gunn has said that the monster in the opening of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is the same breed as the Grant monster in Slither. That makes a lot of sense, especially because I was going to actually make that direct parallel since that was his most recent film. I can draw a direct parallel to the grenade bit in this movie to that opening of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which I think is such a phenomenal example of like, oh, we're going to have a big superhero fight, but we're going to focus on something innocuous like the little tree creature dancing. I think it's such a genius conceit of like, once again, it's him taking a lot of these like bigger genre expectations and doing just like funny silly shit with it just like let's put point the camera off to the side or let's see that grenade explode and have the characters come up with some different situation like especially a lot of great examples with james kind of like people sort of being in the middle of this genre situation thinking they know how to work it and then just ends up completely like bellying out their plan a it's just like oh we gotta think of a plan b on our feet he loves doing that. And I think you can see that here. You can see that all the way through to, like, Super and the two Guardians movies. And wherever he may go with, uh, let's say, that new Suicide Squad or the third Guardians he finally does. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Not really excited for the future right now of James Gunn. Uh, what makes you necessarily say that? Because I could give two shits about Suicide Squad. I honestly think it's basically just going to be a remake, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But I just, I don't care. And I wasn't the biggest fan of Guardians 2. I think I've mentioned that to you before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so, yeah, yeah, I'd like to see him do more original stuff than adapt adapted material. Yeah, whereas I, I would say Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is one of the few Marvel movies that gets better each time I see it. Oh, you are so shit no i'm I'm not full of shit i i am completely sincere about how much i genuinely love that movie i think that movie has some of the best emotional connections in any mcu movie and i think it's one of the better superhero movies of the last 10 years right thomas can i call you thomas i i I might go by that name i go by many names tom tim tim tom so many we'll just we'll just agree to disagree on the guardians (laughs) too put it as a back pocket Uh, (laughs) let's get back to slither so uh i guess your final thoughts adam on slither i think it's just a wild fucking ride of a movie is it his craziest movie no i think we could both agree that's probably super but this is right up there it's fun funny when it's supposed to be scary unnerving it hits it uh it's gross it's great practical effects Great characters, good filming, good locale, good soundtrack. It's just, this movie fires on all cylinders, and it barely misses a beat. Yeah, we didn't mention, but I do love the ending shot of this movie. Where it's just like, Uh, oh, well, everything's resolved. 
let's walk to the hospital, I guess, because we don't have any keys to cars. And that's such a, like, it's throughout most of the credits. And I love that song, too. The baby, I love you, just leave me the fuck alone. Such a great song to end that movie on. But yeah, I would genuinely quite agree. Um, I wouldn't, weirdly, I think because of how much I love his other movies, this would be my technically least favorite of the movies he's directed. But that's not a slight against this movie at all. It just shows how good that guy has especially become from here. It's a great base to see where he would go. Um, you, you see his like love of, as we mentioned, um, older comedies, older horror movies. Um, it, trauma, his experience there, really flourishes here. Where on like those really small, meager budgets, where on a trauma movie, you would have, say, a head explosion be a watermelon underneath a fucking tire, <laughs> dressed up like a head. Um, then you end up getting to this movie, where some of, like, the amazing effects, I'm still like, how the fuck did you do that? Like, especially any time that you see Michael Rooker move in that giant elaborate suit when he becomes messed up and just the, the alien creature, and he just glides around. I'm just stunned. I'm sure it's just him on a fucking plank or something, like, on a goddamn, like, dolly just moving. But it looks seamless. Oh, dude, and I mean, like, the the girl who's pregnant with all the slugs in the barn. What an amazing practical effect. Yeah, mostly practical. There's, like, a few CG things for when she's tearing, but that's, like, it. Right. Yeah, what would you say, like, to interrupt my own final thought, what would you say is the best practical effects moment in the movie? I mean, honestly, if it's not that, one of my favorites that always sticks with me is when all the other bodies are coming out of the Grant monster and they're all slimy and talking to her through their voices. I just think it looks so good and gross. They're so slimy and they're all naked. And I just love that part. I would say if not the moments we have talked about, I agree, like the Grant monster especially. Um, Mm -hmm. I I would say it's probably the bit where the dude gets like cut in half, which I think has some CG assist, but is like fucking great like it just falls apart like butter it's it's yeah it's really good yeah yeah to get back to my final thought that i interrupted myself it's it's a really fun horror comedy like i mentioned it's one of the better examples i think of like the horror leading the comedy because i think often when you do get those they tend to do to feel a bit more malicious a bit more mean-spirited in a way that's not that you know consistently engaging or funny or scary even uh, as opposed to this one feels a lot more like it has a heart and a base that's there that like really grounds the movie. But at the same time, there's all sorts of like funny character asides and silly moments and gore moments and all sorts of stuff, but just really held together well by a heart at the center that I think has really um, continued on with James Gunn's work because he makes uh, really fucked up gross genre movies, but with a bit of heart. He's got Moxie, that kid. That's as Lloyd Kaufman said in the mid-90s, just like, you got Moxie, kid. You have uh, two weeks and a typewriter? Let's write a Tromeo and Juliet. All the T's are missing on the typewriter. Make it work. (laughs) I got it from the dumpster. And by the way, Lloyd Kaufman has a cameo in this movie. Oh, he does. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I believe he does in all of James Gunn's movies, even in Guardians of the Galaxy, he's on the prison, part of the prison. Yep. Yep. Including also, do do you recognize a certain voice in the movie? Oh. Of the Doctor? No. It is one Rob Zombie, who has also had a yes, vocal cameo. Yes, I knew that. Right, who's also had a vocal cameo in all of James Gunn's movies, including in both the Guardians of the Galaxy ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like buddies in real life. Yeah, couldn't be more polar opposite filmmakers. <laughs> yeah, I know. One's good. <laughs> yes, one is definitely pretty good. And I'm very excited to see what he does in the future, even with Suicide Squad. I agree that I did not like that first movie. But I am very excited to see what James Gunn does with that conceit. Because I like that conceit, too, of a Suicide Squad. Like, oh, all the villains are come together to actually, like, fight 
a threat that the superheroes won't face. Hopefully it makes that threat something that, like, a bunch of low-life thugs could actually face off against instead of, like, an ancient enchantress magician. <laughs> it's like, oh, let's get right. the boomerang guy to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, let's get a guy with a boomerang and a chick with a bat. <laughs> and a guy who can shoot good. <laughs> sure. <laughs> That'll work? I don't know. But I think uh, he'll do something interesting with that. Nothing else. That cast at him is so stacked. Yeah. Well, that's another thing James Gunn seems to be able to do. Did a pretty good cast. I'm especially excited for Peter Capaldi of Doctor Who fame, who I would never imagine would be in one of these movies. Wild. (laughs) Yes. But enough about all that. Uh, Because that's the end of our double feature discussion, as you can tell by us not talking about the movies anymore. And uh, before we get to doing our picking for next week's episode, which you should definitely stick around for at the very end, uh, we are going to read some feedback from listeners like you who uh, contributed because every Monday at DEDB Pod we share a little feeler that's like, hey, what's your favorite, least favorite example of whatever you know, thing we're covering at that time uh, for a topic. And uh, we asked you all about horror comedies, and uh, we got quite a lot of responses to go through here, Adam. Yeah, like I said, man, it's a genre that is beloved, and when it hits, it hits, man. There are some fucking fantastic horror comedy movies out there. One of our most favorite movies of all time, I think, is a horror comedy, uh, Young Frankenstein. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, we'll get into all of that, because uh, let's read some of our feedback here. We'll I want to talk about it now. Well, okay, I'm being held hostage here. So, so Young Frankenstein, 1974, Mel Brooks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm fucking interrupt my flow anymore, <laughs> goddammit. <laughs> anyway, uh, first up from uh, James Rodriguez says, uh, What We Do in the Shadows is one of the funniest films of recent years, tackling vampires hilariously in the mockumentary format while putting uh, viewers off sandwiches for a while. Um, also worth watching are Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, a fantastic subversion of exploitation tropes, the wild and inventive society, and the best hand acting in Evil Dead 2. Least favorable on Knights of Bad Astem, a LARPing horror, which is lacking a spark uh, that Joe Lynch can usually deliver, and the insufferable precursor to only 90s kids will remember posts Joseph Kahn's detention. Shane Steele says, Nothing brings the gore and hilarity like Dead Alive. Um, I know a lot of people like your next, but I found it to be an insufferable mashup of ideas from other movies, ranging from inspired by to downright ripping off. Uh, Oliver Sloan says, Slither, how can something so nasty be so much fun? Night of the Creeps, Tom Atkins has some of the best one-liners. Death Becomes Her, horribly beautiful. Return of the Living Dead, a classic good time. Street Trash, When Bad Liquor Provides Good Times. Uh, Shaquille Lambert at Shaq Excellence says, I could go on and on about how Cabin in the Woods is a masterpiece, but instead I'm going to talk about Idle Hands being one of the most underrated horror comedies ever. Um, on the other side, Thanks Killing tries way too hard and fails even harder. Uh, Scott Johnson says Tucker and Dale vs. Evil is great stuff, um, as is uh, the recent sleeper Ready or Not. Scones Mortensen on Twitter, at Scones Mortensen, says uh, the original Evil Dead is the king of horror comedies, but a recent one I really liked was Your Next. Stephen D. at Waiting FTH says uh, Return of the Living Dead equals favorite, Return of the Living Dead Part 2 equals least fave. Uh, actually, there are probably worse, but that's absolutely not how to do a sequel. Um, other favorites, Spider Baby, maybe not, but charming anyway. Uh, Shaun of the Dead and Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, Will, at the Denim Wizard, says, uh, Love What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, Larry Steinhardt at Double H55 says, uh, Night of the Creeps, Evil Dead 2 are wonderful masterpieces. Uh, Brendan Foley says, Everyone who hasn't yet, go watch Housebound. And he's at True Brendan F. At the True Brendan F. Brendan 
Agnew at uh, BLC Agnew says, Shaun of the Dead, Cabin in the Woods, and in the Apocalypse, One Cut of the Dead, What We Do in the Shadows, and Fido. And then Sam Bertuxen at Bertuxen on Twitter says, Monster in Law, obviously. Also dead alive, I guess. Oh, Sam. Oh, Sam. <laughs> oh, you're crazy hijinks. <laughs> um, but any of those uh, really tickle your fancy there, Adam? Your next is one that's very odd for me. I don't think it's that good of a movie. I think it's kind of messy. I think a lot of the performances are just so uneven, if not uneven, just just so obvious Ooh, what's going on. But I've seen it, I don't know how many times, for some reason, it's one of those movies where anytime it's on, I watch it, and I never actually really enjoy myself while I'm watching it, but I have to watch it. I don't know why. I mean, I remember really digging it at the time, and I think what really works is it has such an ingenious hook, which if you don't know about your next, basically it's a home invasion movie where like a family of assholes uh, gathers together, and a bunch of people try to invade their house and try and hit kill them and the twist is as opposed to like a usual home invasion movie where they get picked off one by one by all of these um you know sort of invaders um the invaders end up getting hunted down by the, the girlfriend of one of the brothers who ends up uh it turns out being like trained in like some kind of army camp or some shit and she just takes them the fuck down <laughs> oh yeah she crushes them yeah um so no i definitely like that one i i mean i think we've sang what we do in the shadows praises quite a few times on this show. I, I absolutely think that's a masterpiece. Of course. And Housebound is one I've, I keep trying to watch, but for some reason something comes up every time I try to watch it. But I've heard it's quite good. You know, I want to say that's one I watched. I, I wasn't a huge fan. It wasn't bad. No? It was perfectly oh. watchable, but I, I was not the hugest fan of it, um, as some other people were. Maybe I need to give it another shot, necessarily. I'll also say, um, Scott hit right on the head with both his choices for me, because obviously Tucker and Dale versus Evil amazing horror comedy i love that movie i the, fucking love that movie which if you don't if you aren't aware of that one it's basically the premises tucker and dale are two hillbilly guys who like try and become friends with this cabin full of college kids that are like vacationing next door to their cabin and every time they try and make friends these kids just horribly die and they think oh they're evil hillbilly murderers <laughs> like the genre yeah. trope and it's so fucking funny especially alan tudyk and um okay i just forgot tyler labine tyler labine are so funny together they are so great oh they're so good i knew that movie was gonna be good within i got two really good laughs if not three in the first 10 minutes the way when the cop pulls him over and tyler Bean rips up and his shirt comes off and when tyler Bean walks over with his fucking sickle that's a good looking cooler (laughs) (laughs) so fucking good it's so good if you want a like almost tragic example of like how good versus bad a horror comedy can be. Uh, Eli Craig, who made that movie, followed that up with a movie called Little Evil that was released on Netflix. I was just going to bring that up. The exact garbage, awful horror comedy. Oh, so terrible. bad. How fucking terrible was that movie? And it had a decent cast. Obviously, the writer, director, already proved himself with Tucker and Dale, but man, did he shit the bed with that one. It was almost unwatchable. Also, trivia, uh, he is the son of Sally Field, who's in Eat Little Evil. Oh, that's how he gets bankrolled. Maybe. I don't know, but he's only made two movies in the last, like, ten years, so I don't know. Well, <laughs> yeah, the last one Little Evil. Can you fucking blame no one else for me? Like, eh, no, we're good. We're good with you. <laughs> uh, but also, I want to really highlight, Scott also said Ready or Not, which is a recent release. I loved Ready or Not. That's one of my favorites of the year so far, which is the one with Samara Weaving. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. 
Yeah, it's so good. And especially, that one was the one that really sealed it. Like, Samara Weaving is new um, horror Final Girl Bay. She's really good. Mayhem, she was really good in. Yes, she was really good. Oh, God, but Night's a Badass, and that guy hit it right on the head. What a fucking just mess of a movie. I know there was a lot of production issues. Yeah. And the movie basically got taken away from him. And, you know, one of the main cast members had to be recast, like, two days into shooting. And things like that, but fucking what a mess of a movie. Yeah, and such a too. That's another one kind of like Freaks of Nature, where it's like, man, such a great cast. So many funny people in that movie. And mm-hmm. it just doesn't quite work at all, no. But, but yeah, I mean, obviously the Evil Dead movies were talked about and some of these others. You know, one I'm surprised isn't here, and one that I would argue, another one of my just favorite movies of all time that definitely fits this, and I would argue is probably one of the few examples where it's perfectly evenly killed between the horror and the comedy. In a way where it's not mm-hmm. quite exactly specifically one or the other specifically American Werewolf in London. Yeah, that's a great one. I mean, that might be the top. I mean, honestly, that that's such a fucking fantastic dark comedy of a movie. I'm also surprised Rocky Horror Picture Show's not on here. That's anyway. true, yeah, cuz it definitely fits more in that camp. I guess it's just the weird confusion of it being considered such a bad movie when really it's doing what it's aiming at perfectly fine. Oh, 100%. It's it's cheese factor and shock and campiness. I, I mean, at a level 11 out of 10, and that's exactly what they wanted. Yeah, and Tim Curry is one of the best tour comedy performances in anything. Oh, there's, my God. Where it's, it's a great mix of, like, there's very funny laughing ones, but there's also another example of, like, a real weird sincerity. Like, when he does, like, the big song in the climax, where he's just, like, about going home. It's like, oh, wow, I'm, like, tearing up. <laughs> this is actually a really Ooh. beautiful moment. Actually, <laughs> also one of my just favorite deliveries of anything it's just him looking at the screen like sometimes it's so hard having a good time i just love the ones. <laughs> uh yeah yeah any other ones that maybe weren't mentioned here you want to shout out oh little shop of horrors well so- someone did mention that here but the- yeah that's my my favorite movie of all time the 86 movie I-, I love that movie that's a that's a great one um one that was really bad that a lot of people seem to like was hell baby i thought it was terrible I thought it was fine. I, I haven't thought about it that much. I think it was just it was one in one year right. at the other. Yeah. I mean, it's ultimately forgettable. But like I said, you know, a lot of the direct to like Stan House thing. Oh, God. Or Shriek, if you know what I did, whatever the fuck. I mean, there's just really bad ones out there. I mean, granted, those are more spoof than anything. But Jesus Christ. Another really there- good example in terms of like one good one, one really terrible one in terms of original to sequel even though the original one isn't really an original piranha 3d versus piranha 3 double d oh yeah yeah because piranha 3d is actually very funny and clever and oh yeah it's really great one of the better horror remakes out there yeah best jerry o'connell performance ever oh one of the one of my favorite adam scott performances too (laughs) oh yeah he's so good in that (laughs) but yeah no the sequel is just atrocious yeah oh you know what though but feast the first feast movie i think is a really fun violent, dark comedy. I've never seen Feast. The first one, I really like. Then they just went batshit crazy with the second and third. And wasn't that a Project Greenlight movie? Wasn't that the first Project Greenlight movie? The first one was the very first Project Greenlight movie, yep. Uh, Yeah. It's uh, the guy who directed Prana 3DD did it. Right, Uh, right, yeah, yeah. Clue Gulliger's son. Mm -hmm. You know what one of the worst horror comedies ever made was? And I don't really want to talk too much about it because it's coming up, but uh, Freddy's Dead. Yeah. Woof. Woof. Yeah, really. That's a rough one. (laughs) Uh, Death Becomes Her. Great one. Very underrated one, especially with Robert Mm -hmm. Zemeckis. One of the the best against type Bruce Willis performances. He is such like a nerdy, sleazy idiot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, The Frighteners 
is a yes. great one. Oh yeah, uh, Reanimator, or even like also just a general early Peter Jackson. Like uh, Sam mentioned, Dead Alive, but also like Bad Taste, and even Meet the Feebles oh. to a certain extent kind of fits that. Oh yeah, Society. Even though that movie's fucking wild, never have seen that one either. Parents. I don't know if you ever saw that with Randy Quaid. I, I know of that movie. It's also a Bob Balaban film. Yep, that's a Bob Balaban film. <laughs> um, that's a fucking really dark comedy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of hidden gems out there. I, I do think horror comedy is one that has to hit exactly at the right time for it to be successful. Yeah, because otherwise it gets very lost in the shuffle. A hundred percent. I think the last big one we had was probably What We Do in the Shadows. And even that, that's that's another example where it, it's, I've said this before in other places, it's one of the few sort of in the streaming era movies that has like really gotten a cult following because of how many movies just like really get lost in the ether with like Netflix and shit like that. No, I, I definitely, definitely agree. And I mean, also the show based on it. I saw that movie at South by Southwest when it was still just doing its festival run. And I remember watching it with a friend and we were leaving and that friend was like, you know, it was cute, but I don't know if it will really catch on with people. Uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Big ass made one of the biggest directors working right now. Yes, definitely with uh, with Taika. I'm, I'm very excited to see especially him kind of advance on and on. Uh, fuck, I'm so excited for Jojo Rabbit. That's, I mean, I cannot believe he got that movie made. I cannot <laughs> believe he got that movie made. Well, because through Fox Searchlight, and now, of course, given who bought Fox, it's a Disney film, which is so great. Disney presents Jojo Rabbit. Fun Hitler comedy. He right. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> uh, well, thank you all for that feedback. And we also want to thank a few other people. We want to thank uh, Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used on our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show. And, of course, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod. That's where you throw up those feelers about, hey, what are your favorite, least favorite from whatever topic we're doing? And you can also email us feedback, uh, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter at NotTheWho'sTommy. You can find me um, also doing some writing at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com, where I do like reviews and stuff like that, um, and also post up links to the show. And also I do some satirical superhero news writing at TrueSuperheroFans.com, where I write random silly things like um, several Walking Phoenix performances that are actually Joker performances, because... Uh, you know, if you watch Gladiator, he's really playing the Joker, Adam, if you really look at it. I mean, it. he, he kind of is. <laughs> and uh, you can find Adam, um, you know, just hanging out in a barn, becoming a slug monster, and having a bunch of guys just hop on him, you know? I mean, whatever floats your boat, Adam. I'm not judging. Well, well wait, wait a minute here. Instead of, instead of slugs, it's Twinkies. And yes, I am also allowing guys to hop on me. But it's equal opportunity, guys, ladies, yeah, whatever. No, 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 not in the barn. Not in the barn. It's all man action. <laughs> you got to go into the house for the multi. <laughs> for the ladies get the house. <laughs> oh, and, of course, uh, if you want more quality content like that, uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available. And if you're uh, listening on ESO, why not dig into the archives for the first several episodes that we did? And uh, make sure to rate, review, or at least share the show around to give us more visibility and grow the double-edged double-built audience. Make us like the Grant Monster. Just, like, have everybody dogpile and become one. We are Legion. We are double-edged double-built. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's our goal. 
We set goals for ourselves. That's the big one. That's the big one. This has become the grant monster of podcasting. That's our Mm -hmm. mission statement. Uh, But now, Adam, before we head out of here, it is time to do our picking for next week. And we're keeping the horror October train a rolling uh, because we're doing this time horror anthologies, which often intersects with comedy horror. Might do so in our next episode. Who knows? But um, it's it's a little fun genre that's as, you know, niche as horror comedy can be. Uh, horror anthologies are even more niche. Without question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, picking the bad ones was easy. Let's put it that way. <laughs> that is that is very true, and it's also just not a very successful genre, hence why it's kind of niche. But um, let's go ahead and do our picking, because uh, I have the two good picks this time, you have the two bad picks. And uh, for those who might be new, each time uh, we get to the end of the episode, uh, the opposite person will pick a number between 1 and 10 for the other person's picks. So for my two good picks... I have assigned two numbers between one and ten for Adam. Uh, pick a number, any number between that. <sighs> uh, six. Okay. At number six, right on the dot, I had the Michael Doherty, much beloved, uh, but unfortunately underseen by many people, uh, film Trick or Treat from 2009. <sighs> That's like a Halloween custom around my house. We watch that every year. I the same. Yes, that movie. Such a great movie, yes. And then at number one, I had Tales from the Hood, which despite that title, very good film. Very underrated. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I uh, actually thoroughly enjoy that. Might be mostly because of Clarence Williams, but it's still fantastic. He's so fucking great. (laughs) He's so good in that movie. He's so (laughs) scary, too. What a fucking... That guy's perfect. Yes, but speaking of great... Adam, uh, it's time for yeah. I love I'm picking and you're the one growing. <laughs> oh, dude, because I don't want to watch either of these. You know what I mean? Oh boy, I'm sure I will. Yeah. So, oh yeah, um, you're gonna love it. I'm sure. Uh, for my for your two picks, Adam, I'm gonna pick number two. At number one, uh, not because it's the best. Uh, <laughs> I have Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror. Oh, good lord, really? Yeah, that's the thing. It exists. Haven't seen this one, but uh, I know it exists, yeah. It does. Well, now because I told you. Um, (laughs) You willed it into existence. (laughs) Snoop Dogg called me up. Yeah, no problem, nephew. (laughs) (laughs) Sniggity diggity. (laughs) Um, At number seven, to piggyback on what you already did, I have Tales from Hood 2, which I have not seen, and I heard it's atrocious. It's pretty bad. Not not good. Yeah. Though that one does have Keith David in the Clarence Williams role, who is at least fu- having fun in that role. That's Keith David. I'm always good with Keith David. Yeah, of course. But, uh, yeah, that's going to be a real doozy of a double feature, Adam, but we'll get to next time. But until then, uh, let's go ahead and just, like, go on in the woods. And I think I spot a little slug thing, Adam. Let's poke at it. Hey, I could have been a contender. This is your fucking thing now you're doing. Not the waterfront. Yep. <laughs> I'm doing, I'm doing old school movie lines at the end of everything. That's true. Yes. Okay. So we're doing black and white classic. You know, adding a bit of culture to the show. I love it. Good night, everybody. Yeah. Bye. Play it again, Sam.
has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.